This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chronogeobiological flow. And today we're staying in the book of Acts and we'll be taking a look at how the gospel continued to spread even despite some real tough opposition from political and religious authorities. You know, Ben, I'm I'm really grateful that they didn't give up. And when people were challenging them and dragging them off to prison and putting them to death and all the many multitude of things that happened over the first few centuries of Christianity, they didn't give up. And because of that, we have faith today. The Easter service was yesterday. And how, how grateful we can be that we are able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because these folks didn't stop. It's Pretty good, pretty cool testament, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and a testament to the the assurance they had in, in Christ's resurrection that their hearts were rooted in uh, Jesus's eternal uh, kingdom. And so, no matter the circumstances that they were facing, no matter the hardships, no matter the persecution, the oppression, the marginalization, they continued to walk faithfully with Christ. They continued to bear witness to Christ, and thousands of people literally changed the landscape. Uh, of of that uh, the entire region of of Europe itself, what we come to know as Europe itself, um, in the the following uh, years. I know that there are times in my life as a pastor, and when I'm hanging around other pastors, that we sometimes can throw pity parties for either the denominational problems or in in the denominational hierarchy or the the church people, like all the things that we would consider like are hassling us or persecutions, uh, we have no clue what true persecution really is here in Fishers, Indiana, United States of America. We have no real idea what that is, but they did. Now, there's a, there's a character that shows up in this story whose name is Herod. That's a, that name is used a lot in the Bible and so let me let me just talk about a few of the Herods along the way. There was Herod the Great, and he's the one that killed all the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Remember that story? And then his son, Herod Antipas, took over the region of Judea. It, it, the, Herod the Great's kingdom was split up. Herod Antipas got a part of it. But he's the guy that was around in Jesus' lifetime, and he had John the Baptist beheaded. And then when Jesus' trial comes around, he refused to free Jesus, and he probably could have done that, but he sent him back to Pontius Pilate, and that whole story takes place. Well, the one in the story today is neither Herod the Great nor Herod Antipas. This guy is Herod Agrippa I. He's also just known by King Herod, and he takes over after more timely deaths in the Herod family. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, but the nephew of Herod Antipas. And he coalesced all the regions that had been broken up by Herod when Herod the Great died and that many others had. And so he had basically the same territory that his grandfather had. He was a powerful, powerful man. And so that's a, kind of the context behind who these Herods are. And it's this Herod known as Agrippa I, who is the one that's encounter, we encounter here in this story in the book of Acts, chapter 12. So let's jump in. 
Acts chapter 12. Thanks for uh, putting up with my nerd history there. So Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 1, let's jump into that. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So there's another one of the disciples who are martyred. And we know James and John from very, very early in the Jesus story. They were brothers who were fishermen. And Jesus called them along with Simon and Andrew, Simon who becomes Peter. So he called the four of them, and they were fishing partners, the two sets of brothers with their families. Jesus called them early on to say, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And so James was there from day one in the story. And Peter was a good friend of his. They were fishing partners. So when it says in in verse two, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This had to devastate the believers. Verse three, when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 guys. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What do you think is happening here in Peter's mind? I mean, this is not the first time he's been thrown in prison in, in the book of Acts. It's, it's happened a few times, but it m- might be the first time directly after the martyrdom of one of his best friends. There's, there's got to be a lot stirring up in that, in that man's mind, don't you think? Yeah, undoubtedly. He's, he un, I mean, he's, he's got to believe that he's next on the, on the chopping block. Uh, here, um, and this is all happening really in connection with the the same, uh, you know, it was at around Passover when, or at Passover when Christ Himself is crucified, mm-hmm. and so I, I wonder how all of this is playing out uh, in Peter's mind as he is is you know, un, undou- again, undoubtedly, he's got to know his head's on the chopping block. And it's happening at the exact same time on this anniversary of Christ's death and and resurrection uh, as well and how all that's playing in uh, to his mind and heart as he's uh, waiting to find out what's going to happen as he's sitting in jail. Yeah, so so it's Herod against the world, the the Herod family, it seems, against the, the faith from the arrival of the wise men all the way through, like to this moment at least, it's like one Herod after another is opposing the movement of of Jesus that he brought into the world. So he's, they've got they got Peter in prison, and it goes on in verse six. I'm in, in Acts chapter twelve, verse six. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. This guy was not going to escape. He's he is shackled to the guards. There's no way he's going anywhere. They're sleeping right beside him. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. 
and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. That's the power of God right there. Herod's oblivious to it. He he doesn't know what's going on. In verse 8, Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Can you imagine something happening in real life that you're pinching yourself like, am I dreaming? People say that phrase, but he literally thinks he's dreaming right now, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, the shackles are falling off, the the gates are popping open, and all the the sentries are conked out, and, and it makes sense, I guess. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. You know, they have these gated communities these days where the thing kind of opens by itself. You reckon it was one of those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably appeared appeared that way. It probably looked like, yeah. except well, those never work. Yeah, well, that's so. right. Because one time, Sherry and I, when we were living in, in Dallas, Texas, in this apartment complex, we lived right uh, at the exit gate. There was a a gate that was supposed to stay closed, um, but it was just constantly opened. It was constantly open. Yeah. So this one was constantly closed, but it opens for them as they are, for Peter and this angel as as they're approaching it, which is pretty cool. It opened by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So there he is by himself, verse 11. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So he has this moment of clarity now. He now somehow knows he's not dreaming. It's in real time and that he's been set free from Herod. He does not have to fear Herod or his uncle. Or his grandpa, like all these people that, that had been just murderous people. They had, a, they had a horrible family history. I mean, they killed their wives. They killed their sons. They killed their brothers. They killed whoever was in the way of power. And this, this Herodian family were just bad people. And you could see why there would be fear in Peter's life and the other disciples. And he's basically saying, they got nothing on me because I have the power of God with me. And I... I think that's pretty amazing because I do think, Ben, sometimes that, that we get caught up in, in the whole idea of who, who's against me and, and who's not going to listen to me and who's going to ridicule me, um, who, who's opposing me. This story reminds us that when we are, with, we are with Christ and walking with him, nobody has anything for, on us. Now, we got to keep in mind that in the future— Peter would be executed for his faith. So it wasn't like this gave him complete protection physically forever in his life, but he knew this wasn't the moment. Yeah, and even when uh, folks throughout the scriptures are confronted with what in essence is a life or death situation, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their refusal to to bow uh, to the king, going to be tossed in the fiery furnace, and they make the point, even if, I mean, even if we're going to die you can do whatever you want and and god rescues them and saves them uh, one of my favorite verses uh, in scriptures in second uh, timothy 
I think it's verse 16 or 17 or 18. It's right in there in chapter four. But the apostle Paul, it's the last letter he writes. He knows he's going to die. Like it's a certainty in his mind. He's going to die. He's, you know, right earlier in that chapter, it said he had finished the race. And so death is certain. And he makes this point to Timothy. He, he says uh, something to the effect that, that Jesus will rescue me. He's not talking about physical rescue there. He says, Jesus will rescue me and bring me into his eternal kingdom. And so the, the ultimate rescue is the kingdom certainty that we live with that sets us free uh, to endure the uncertainties that this mortal life throws at us, whether it's uh, death that, that comes through persecution as Peter will inevitably uh, suffer, or it's the death that is going to certainly come, whether through disease or some tragic circumstance, or we just get old and, and die. Well, this, uh, this happens to Herod here in this story. I don't know if he gets old, but he dies. And it's a different, it's a different kind of scenario because you know, Herod, he's powerful. And Peter's coming to this understanding that he's not in his clutches, not in Herod's clutches. He's in the, the grip of God. And down in verse 18, it says, In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. I mean, the prisoner's missing. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. And they knew this was the punishment for letting a prisoner go. So (laughs) they weren't conspirators in this. These guys were put to death because Peter had escaped. The the story goes on, though. It's It's in the second half of verse 19. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. We talked a little bit about Caesarea in our last podcast when Peter was there with Cornelius and all that. And Caesarea was this, this Roman city. It was, it was where Herod really liked to hang out. He didn't like to hang out in places like Jerusalem. He wanted to be in the modern city with all the, the luxuries, all the amenities that were in a place like Caesarea. And that's where he was going to take off and go back to. So he did. Verse 20 he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Those are places that are north of Israel. They now joined together and sought an audience with him after securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So he's working out these, these negotiations. I mean, Herod's a powerful man and he's, he's just working on political and powerful things. He's, his popularity rating was high, maybe because if you opposed him, you'd get put to death, but you know, he, he had higher ratings than probably any president that, that we've had, at least in recent history. And he was, he was well-loved. And we see this in the next verse. He's only thinking of himself. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne. I mean, there's an image for you. And he delivered a public address to the people. The people shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And Herod doesn't deflect it. He just receives it. Sure, I'll be your God. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down 
and he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> there, there, there's the end of your story right there. He was eaten by worms and died. This guy who was a powerful, powerful man was literally died from the inside out. <laughs> there's always such great imagery uh, in scripture <laughs> that is. surrounds the death oftentimes of, of people that stand in opposition uh, to God. It's never, it's never, they just keeled over. You know, there's always some sort of. Yeah, dr- I don't know if he wasn't washing his hands, you know, or sanitizing or whatever, what was going on. Yeah. You know? So yeah. he got worms in his system somehow. Uh, but it says the angel of the Lord did. I mean, the, the, the scripture's interpretation is that, that God brought this about because he was. He was taking the place of God in his own life. So, uh, my brother, what like what do we what do we learn from this Herod story? As he's trying to oppose Peter and and taking the glory in on himself, and comes to this this terrible demise in his life and the end of his life. What what can we see from that that helps us as we are navigating faith ourselves? I think, uh, again, kind of maintaining that uh, eternal kingdom perspective that the, the servants of the Lord, there's always going to be vindication. There's going to be some aspect of eternal vindication. It's a reminder of our own mortality um, and the mortality of everyone ar- around us. Uh, people can claim themselves divine, but they're going to wind up in the ground, ultimately eaten by worms. And uh, one way or another, and then uh, the other the other aspect of that um, is that you know we're we're called to make much of Jesus Christ, and so especially for the for the Christian, um, we we live to to glorify God, to glorify Him uh, alone, and uh, as we see Herod's own arrogance, it's it's a reminder uh, of our need for humble uh, submission before the goodness of God, that we are entrusting ourselves uh, to the author of life, to the author of love, and that we are called to, to make much of him. Um, on a side note, uh, because, you know, I see worms and then my mind goes to tangent. I got to tell you a funny story. Yeah, here, All right. Here. So when I, I went swimming in the wrong bayou uh, and I got ringworm. All right. And so if you've ever had ringworm, um, you know, it's like leaves like a little mark. It was, I wasn't being eaten from the inside out by worms or anything, but they leave you with like little marks. Well, they're contagious, and I didn't even know I had it. And so Sherry had come from Indiana to Louisiana to visit me, and I had put my arm around her neck. And sure enough, you know where I'm headed with. She gets ringworm on her neck. Yeah, she married you anyway, and she married me anyway. Yeah. You didn't throw her in the lake, the lake or the bayou. No, I didn't. Or I didn't do any anything cruel or harm. Though my one of my first encounters with uh, Sherry in the moment, I think that it clinched that I was the one for her. Was when we were actually, I think I mentioned it on an earlier podcast, or maybe this one. I don't know when we were in Chicago, where I met her. We were. I was kidding around with her one day after we had gone to our ministry sites. And a bunch of the guys that I was in Chicago with, we had bought all these super soaker water guns and I, uh, she was coming up the steps and I just drilled her in the face with the water gun. And it was that moment where she was like, I love this man. 
you know, you should write a, a little booklet on how to court a woman. Right, <laughs> you've got all all I, the steps. Right I, I, there, yeah, I drilled her in the face with a water gun, and I gave her a ringworm, and uh, she's still married to me after twenty four years. Go figure. <laughs> go go figure that. Well, you haven't come to nearly as bad of a demise as poor old Herod, uh, who was eaten by worms and, and died because he didn't give credit to God. Instead, he took that credit on himself. You know, this isn't the end of the Herods. This this guy Herod Agrippa the first has a son Herod Agrippa the second, and he becomes a nuisance for Paul in the future. So this this family keeps showing up throughout the rest of of the book of Acts. Next time we're going to take a look at a different kind of story. It's the book of Philemon, and it's it's about a runaway slave who is also a brother in Christ, and Paul's encouragement about what to do with this guy. If, if you're reading along and keeping up, you can read the book of Colossians. There's, there's four chapters in Colossians and the book of Philemon to get some insight into that. If you want to jump in deeper, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On Mission link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the mission of Jesus. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcasts, We encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless.